Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. Context. That, in a sense, is what the book of Isaiah is meant to do for God's people. It's meant to help people who live their lives day to day right up close, right into the details of this bill coming in or that person sent an angry text or your boss isn't happy with you this week and all the stuff that kind of consumes our vision. Isaiah, the vision of Isaiah is meant to help us step back and find perspective for what is going on in life. Hope in God, oh my soul, He is strong and He is strong to save. Hope in God, He's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. If you've ever flown in an airplane, you've had the privilege of seeing the earth from a whole new vantage point. This shift in perspective allows you to understand the world around you in an entirely new way. As Pastor Ricky begins a new series in Isaiah today, he challenges you to let the truth in this study shift your perspective. Just like looking out of an airplane window, the book of Isaiah can help you live your everyday life with a new outlook, making a difference where the rubber meets the road. Well, let's join Pastor Ricky in the book of Isaiah chapter 1 as he begins his message, Perspective. Isaiah chapter 1. If you're new here, my name is Ricky. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And if you have not been to church in a while, or maybe you are brand new to church, the good news is that when we come to a book like Isaiah, you're going to be in good company because you're going to have no idea what's going on. Neither will anybody else. Uh, This is not a part of the Bible that everybody is. I mean, some people are, but not everyone's doing their daily devotions after the destruction uh, passages of Isaiah. So I want to explain in this message why I'm going to give a, essentially a trailer for the rest of the book of Isaiah, because I think that is how Isaiah 1 actually functions in the book. Isaiah begins with these words, the vision of Isaiah. Now, that word vision is so important. Um, most of the time when we come to prophecy books, quote unquote, uh, we imagine in a modern way, sort of a you know, modern day fortune teller or somebody, Isaiah's got a big ball that's glowing and is looking in, ooh, what will happen in the future? And he's, he's saying, Putin, Putin, 2021, Donald Trump, Cambodia, like, and, and there's a whole, listen, there's a whole Christian sub-industry trying to sell you books by putting like modern day events into uh, the prophecies of the Old Testament. And, and look, there are aspects of the biblical prophets that look into the future, to Jesus' day and to beyond. But primarily, listen to that, primarily God's prophetic words to his people, the vision of Isaiah is meant to give his people perspective with what is occurring right around them, okay? So it's not primarily predictive in the future. It's primarily instructive. It's primarily perspective. Last weekend, uh, one of the guys at church and I took a personal retreat. Well, we didn't take a personal retreat about our relationship. We went on separate personal retreats, but we 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 went together. Chris wants me to make that very clear. Wasn't we didn't we didn't have some issues to work through in our relationship. We. We're going on separate retreats together. And on the way, though, we decided to make a stop, a quick stop. And so we found ourselves in front of um, a storefront with a very famous logo in front of it that said Prada. 
And right behind the glass, there were these designer handbags and designer shoes worth, they were real, the real stuff. And it's, they're worth thousands of dollars. Probably one of these is worth all of the things I own in my own home. And there was one little itty bitty like asterisk to that, that Prada experience we had, which was that the whole thing was probably like 20 feet wide by 10 feet, and it was in the literal middle of nowhere. If you ever travel between El Paso and Marfa, Texas, there is a Prada storefront. I would love to be with people driving past this that are unaware of it, that are just driving across Texas, and they're like, Zip, like, what was that? Was that, that looked like a, was that a Prada store? in the middle of the desert. So you circle back around. And of course, it's not a real Prada store. It's somewhere between like a joke and an art installation. And, and here's, here's the point I'm making with this. If you were to spend all of your time, maybe to wake up from a nap in the car, and you roll out of the car, and you see the store, you'd think, okay, we, did we get off course? Are we in San Francisco or New York? But if you back up and get some perspective, you realize there's nothing over here, there's nothing over there, there's nothing over here, there's nothing back there. Where are we? Like, what is happening? And so that perspective puts what you're looking at into context. That, in a sense, is what the book of Isaiah is meant to do for God's people. It's meant to help people who live their lives day to day right up close, right into the details of this bill coming in or that person sent an angry text or your boss isn't happy with you this week and all the stuff that kind of consumes our vision. Isaiah, the vision of Isaiah is meant to help us step back and find perspective for what is going on in life. So let me tell you a few things about this book before we jump in to it. First, the book is the vision of Isaiah. So again, as we talked about, the, the vision is not primarily predictive, it's primarily perspective. And Isaiah is not writing down his own personal musings about the world. This is the vision given to Isaiah by God. The Apostle Peter will later say that, that no prophet ever, like Isaiah, ever spoke on their own. They were under the guidance, under the inspiration. They were carried along by the Spirit of God, such that what they spoke and wrote was the very words of God. Okay, so it's very, very different than Isaiah's personal perspective on the world around him. Now, how, though, was this message delivered? This is not simply, Isaiah could be a much shorter book in many ways. It could be, here's my problem, here's what you're doing wrong, here's what I want you to do, here's some prophecies about Jesus, you know, okay. Instead, it's in this very unfamiliar type of literature. We, when we come to the Bible as Americans, are familiar with some of the types of literature in the Bible. If you're new to the Bible, the Bible contains lots of different types of literature. It's 66 books, all of the different types, written over thousands and thousands of years, yet with one message. And so some of the types of literature, like the letters in the New Testament, start with, you know, Paul the Apostle writing to this group, and then he signs off, grace be with you, right? It's a letter. We get that a little bit. Or history books. Anybody that's been forced to read a history book is familiar with history books. And so you're like, okay, a bunch of names I'm not familiar with. I got to memorize these. You're, you're familiar in some ways with history. 
But this type of literature, prophetic literature, how do I put this? It's weird. It's very weird. Um, it is usually super intense, emotional, cutting, pointed perspective on life. Now, it is poetry, but it is not like Robert Frost kind of poetry. Have you ever had to read Robert Frost in school? You know, his famous poem, Two paths diverged in a wood, and I, I took the road less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Like, people have it in the doctor's office with little, it's like a tree, and you're like, it's supposed to calm you. Ah, I feel, thank you, Robert, you know? All his poems are about the autumn leaves in New England and things like this. Isaiah, no, that's not Isaiah, man. The closest modern equivalent I think I can find to the book of Isaiah, and I have really thought about this, so I, I feel like, this is semi-informed. I feel like the closest modern genre to prophetic literature, especially in Isaiah, is rap. Rap music. Rap music is, listen, often super intense, emotional, cutting, pointed perspectives on life. And if you never listen to rap music, you're like, oh, is that what they're saying? Yeah, that, that's, what, that's, what they're, that it, that's what it is. That is the chosen way that God has decided to communicate his message in this book to his people and to us. So we're going to work a little bit to understand that. Now, where and when is he writing? Well, we see this, the vision of Isaiah, son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. So last week when we did our overview of the Bible, we, we talked about how after David and Solomon, kind of the peak of Israel's kings, the kingdom as a result of David and Solomon's sin splits. The kingdom splits into two halves. The, the northern half is often called Israel and the southern half is often called Judah. And Judah contains Jerusalem. And so uh, they're separated, kind of civil war thing it's been going on for generations. And so Isaiah is prophesying to Judah and Jerusalem. And it's during the days of Isaiah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So it's during the reign of these four kings, about 739 to 686, 90 BC. So the message from Isaiah is primarily directed to those people in that kingdom. And we have to understand, as we see that context, in order to understand the message. But as we also see, it's in our Bibles. God has seen fit in his providence to inscripturate the revelation to Isaiah, to, to give it to his people for all time, meaning that it has an application, not just for those people of that day, but for us as well. So with that, verse one, forming our kind of introduction we're going to get into the, the basic charge of Isaiah chapter 1 and the charge of the book. Now, this is, as you remember, brothers and sisters, this is God's word. Just as much as any gospel, just as much as the book of Genesis, this is God's word. Verse 2, hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful 
nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Well, we're going to look at three perspective shifts that happen in Isaiah chapter 1. So Isaiah chapter 1 forms something of a trailer for the rest of the book. Some of Isaiah is loosely grouped into types of of themes and literature, as we'll see as we go on. But this chapter has many of the larger themes of Isaiah that we'll see. But one of the things that I think is so important about this is from the get-go, right out of the gate, God tells his people, you don't understand. In other words, you don't know what you're looking at. You can't see clearly. So I'm going to give you a vision. I'm going to give you vision and perspective to understand who I am, who you are, what your need is, and where all of this is going. So the first perspective shift, these are all perspective shifts. The first perspective shift is about God. Perspective shift is about God. Now, the people in in Isaiah's day We're likely, it seems, frustrated with God. For generation after generation, their nation had been in decline, harassed by many surrounding nations in civil war with their northern brothers, and things were only getting worse. Assyria, a a world superpower, one of the first in the ancient Near East, is rising and destroying everything in its path. It's beginning to gather strength. And, And so people were likely looking at God and saying, where are you? Why don't you care about us? Why have you left us? But as you see right out of the gate, God gives a very different perspective. In verse 2, God calls all of heaven and earth together like a court. He says, okay, sun, moon, stars, earth, you guys are my witnesses. I will prepare to lay out my case before you. His charge is that he is not in the wrong. His people are in the wrong. And he explains using these two images. Verse 2, he basically says, you're like children that I loved and cared for, and yet you rebelled. And then in verse 3, he says, listen, on the most basic level, the stupidest animal at least knows who takes care of them, but you don't. You don't understand even the basic facts of who's giving you life and breath, who created you, who sustained you. And then verse 4 brings the charge. You are full of sin, weighted down with it. And in fact, I have not forsaken you, but you have forsaken me. You've despised me. You've run from me. And then to drive the point home, God lays out two uncomfortable images. In essence, he, he holds up a mirror to his people and says, do you really think you're doing so well? Look at how desperate you are. Look at how broken you are. Verses five and six are this picture, it's really uncomfortable, of a, of a beaten up and bruised and bleeding body with, with wounds that haven't been bound. And verses seven and eight are this picture of a war-ravaged landscape where maybe an army has swept through and they've destroyed everything and all they've left standing is a shack in a field. He says that, that's what's happened. And then verse nine says this, If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom. 
meaning Sodom and Gomorrah, the place that God judged and destroyed utterly. That term, Lord of hosts, we'll see that a few times in Isaiah. It means Lord of armies. And so God gives his perspective. God's people are looking at him and saying, you've left us and charging him with wrong. And God looks back at his people and and he says, you have left me. If I, the Lord of all armies, if I had not stepped in and preserved the last of you, you would be wiped out. And this would be your doing and not mine. I'm the one that stepped in. I'm the one that's preserved you. God's people had the wrong perspective on who God was. And often, so often, we we need the same perspective shift. Now, it's important to understand that we need to be careful when we apply Isaiah to our lives. It's not as though every single ill or hurt or trial in our life is the direct judgment of God. In other words, you, you forgot to come to church one Sunday and then therefore you get a sinus infection. I mean, that's not everything is, is a one-to-one thing. But the point stands. The point is that God's people thought one thing about God But then God's perspective, which is the right perspective, is entirely different. And we need that same perspective shift. Sometimes the ways that we look at God, the ways that we view God are not right. We can be even sincere in what we believe about God. And it doesn't matter if it's not right. And we need, just like Isaiah, to have our thoughts informed. We need to have the perspective that helps us understand. Now, second perspective shift is related to humanity. First perspective shift is God. Second perspective shift is humanity. Now, what we will gather in these verses is that God's people likely would have been very surprised to hear God making a charge against them because they would feel that they've been pretty faithful. I mean, generally, They've, they've kept a lot of the Old Testament festivals. They've actually been making a lot of sacrifices. They've even been offering prayers, regular prayers. And many times in Israel's history, this wasn't happening at all. And they're saying, no, we're doing the stuff. You gave us the rituals. We're doing that. And God has left us. So God gives his perspective on them. God replies, verse 11. I'm just gonna give you the flavor here of this. Verse 11, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? I've had enough of burnt offerings. Verse 13, bring no more vain offerings. Your incense is an abomination to me. Verse 14, your appointed feast my soul hates. Verse 15, when you spread out your hands, even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Now, this is bizarre. They're keeping the festivals. They're making the sacrifices, they're offering the prayers. And God says, your appointed feasts my soul hates. Now the people would say, no, 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 they're not our feasts. You told us to do them in the law. We've been keeping the law. You're in the wrong. And, and God looks back and says, no, no, no. The way that you keep them, they're your feasts. They're your feasts. And, and you, this is a bit of a dilemma for us, but we begin to read a little bit further And we see that God commanded the externals of the law. Okay, He commanded the rituals of the law, the symbols of the law, but he commanded far more than those things. God reveals that 
the people have been going through the externals of the law's requirements without their hearts being involved, with their hearts turned away from God. In fact, what God does next is he points out a place where their hearts can be clearly seen. And he points it out in an unexpected place. Verse 16, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good. And you're thinking, what does God mean? This is what he means. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. He'll say later in verse 23 that your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless and the widow's cause does not come to them. Jesus, the greatest teacher of the law who's ever lived, summarized the entire law into two commands. All of the hundreds and hundreds of commands in the law, he summarized into two commands. Love God and love your neighbor. The rest of the Old Testament law fills out what it means to love God and love your neighbor. And the reason these two commands are given together is that they are inextricably linked. If you love God, then you will love people made in his image. If you love God, then you will love God's people that he has set his love on. If you love God, you will love your neighbor. And if you do not love your neighbor, it reveals that on a fundamental level, you do not love God. So often what we get in Isaiah, as we'll see, is that God's people are using the rituals that he has given them as a way to manipulate God into getting what they want. They're using it almost in a perverse way, like a rain dance right? Oh, we need some protection. We need some economic prosperity. Okay, we can, let's fire up the sacrifices. Let's get the festivals. Oh, yes, Lord, we love thee. And all the while, an orphan comes, obvious to everyone in the village, and no one lifts a finger to help him. Instead, people take him and his mother to court and take their land, and bribes are passed from one to the other. And, and they do not love neighbors who can do nothing for them in return. They love the neighbors that can give them a bribe, slip them a gift. This is what God's revealing about his people. The charge is not just you are sinning, it's you see oppression, you see injustice, and you do nothing. In our culture, the issue of justice and advocating for justice has become politicized, but it is not politicized in the book of Isaiah or in the scriptures. Hope in God, oh my soul, he is strong and he's strong to save. Hope in God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. Thanks for joining us today for Better News Radio. Pastor Ricky has been sharing from the book of Isaiah, an Old Testament book of prophecy written during a tumultuous time in Israel's history. Isaiah was given the job of sharing God's truth with a nation who was rebelling, as God invited his people to repentance and restoration with him. 
Isaiah's job was also to tell us what was to come, both in the near future and years down the road. This book points Israel to God and points all readers to Christ, the ultimate Savior who would arrive on the scene to save the whole world from sin. We're so glad that you tuned in today. If you'd like to listen to this message again, you can find it online at betternewsradio.com. You'll find a library of our past teachings from Pastor Ricky and even be able to subscribe to our podcast. We'd like to invite you to take a few minutes and watch Pastor Ricky's welcome video as well. This video takes a look at the world in the light of truth and explains why the gospel message is such great news. All that and more is at our website. Again, that's betternewsradio.com. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to let you know that we're praying for you with each new edition of Better News Radio. If you ever have a specific request you'd like us to take before the Lord, feel free to give us a call at 915-562-7100. That's 915-562-7100. And we hope that you'll tune in again for another look at the book of Isaiah right here on Better News Radio.